this is Pastor William. On behalf of the members of Providence Baptist Church, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and thank you for joining us. It is our joy to share God's truth, and we trust that the preaching of God's Word will always bless His people. But we humbly remind you that no recording can ever replace biblical corporate worship or true Christian fellowship. So we encourage everyone everywhere to commit themselves to the service of God's kingdom in a local church. And we pray that the Lord keep and bless you as you continue to earnestly seek Him. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. We are still in this last chapter of this last book. And we are coming to the last exhortations from the Lord. There are many warnings in Scripture, but these are the final warnings that the Lord gives us. So, let us take heed and hear them carefully. We will read verses 6-13. through And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This ends the reading of the Lord's Word this morning. As I mentioned a moment ago, these are the final words of Christ to His church in this final revelation that He gave to us. And as we've seen in our study, there's much to be gleaned from this that should encourage us, that, should, that, should, uh, that certainly edifies us, but it should encourage us and motivate us to seek Him all the more, to pursue Him all the more, to pursue the promises that He has given to us. So let's take a closer look then. We looked at verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 last week. So we'll look closer at verses 10 through 13 this morning. So verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now contrast that, if you remember, with Revelation uh, chapter 10, and verse 4, which said, When the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the th- seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So we know that there are some things that John saw and heard that we will not know until Christ returns. 
But the things that he has written down, we are responsible for. We're responsible for the things that we've heard. And compare this, compare this with Daniel. John often references the writings of Daniel. And this is no different this morning. Daniel 12.4. In, uh, in his visions, Daniel was told, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And again, in Daniel 12.9, the angel tells him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. What did Daniel prophesy about? Well, we know he prophesied about some some very contemporary things, some things that were happening in his day at his time. But he also spoke about a promised Messiah that was to come, about a king, a prince that would come, about one who would inaugurate a new kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness. And he, he prophesied about one who would bring final judgment upon the wicked kingdoms of this fallen world. But from Daniel's perspective, all of those prophecies were about the future. From where he was, they were all in the future. There was about a coming kingdom and a coming Messiah. But Daniel did not understand all of it. He did not understand exactly when it would take place. He did not know how those things would take place. And he was told specifically that the end had not yet come. In Daniel 12, 13, the angel said to him, But go your way until the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Go your way until the end. The end hasn't come yet. Go your way. But that's not the case here with John's prophecy. John already knows. He's already witnessed. He knows that the Messiah has come. He has seen this King of Kings come and the kingdom of heaven be inaugurated. The Messiah himself proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and the time of the end had come. What Daniel prophesied about but didn't understand was now being fulfilled, is now being fulfilled. And it's fulfilled through the the death and the resurrection and and the ascension of this King of Kings, this Messiah that come to make things right and then to reign over all of human history. We see it now being fulfilled as the Messiah's kingdom battles against the kingdoms of this world. We know the Messiah has overcome the enemy, but these battles still rage on for us. And we see this in the persecution of His people. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 28 and 30, We read, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And this is Daniel speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar had asked for a wise man that could tell him his dream and then interpret his dreams. And Daniel tells him, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in your bed, came thoughts that would be after this, of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than any other living, 
But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel was given wisdom concerning the king's dream in order to validate what Daniel was going to say, in order to validate God's word. And we see this often throughout scripture where God validates the words of his prophets through miracles or through prophecies foretelling of the future that do come true. And all that Daniel said concerning Nebuchadnezzar came true. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar witnessed it themselves. And what was the last recorded, um, the last recorded words of King Nebuchadnezzar? We see that in Daniel 4.37. Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. This is the same king that stood on the balcony of his palace and looked over his kingdom and said how great he was until the Lord humbled him. And now, because of what Daniel said and prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar, and what Nebuchadnezzar witnessed, he was converted And he professed the name of God. He knew where he stood. The great Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest kings in the history of the world, he knew where he stood before God at this moment. All that Daniel prophesied about the kingdoms that followed came true. And now we can see that in our history books. When he talks about the Greek empire, the Persian empire, the Roman empire, and when he talks about the coming of the Messiah and his kingdom. All that Daniel prophesied about that Messiah came true. His ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And John, the Apostle John, among others, witnessed all of that. Daniel didn't witness it, but John witnessed it. Daniel prophesied about it. John witnessed it. And he and the other apostles and other men witnessed it and wrote about it. Some weren't even believers but they wrote down what they saw. And at the end of verse 9 in Revelation 22, what did the angel tell John? It was the focus of our sermon last week. He said, worship God. And here as we continue through verses 10 through 13, he gives us reasons to worship God. Because like Daniel, who revealed God's word to Nebuchadnezzar, John is revealing God's word to us. That we may know who the Messiah is. That we may know who is this one that God promised way back in Genesis 3. Promised that he would come and make things right. Redeem us from this curse. Well, Daniel wrote, And John wrote, and so many others wrote, for our benefit, that we may know Him. That we may know what He is doing. And that we may know what promises He has for us in the future. This is the sum of the Christian life. What Christ has done saves us. What He is doing now sanctifies us and edifies us. And what we look forward to is when He glorifies us. And His Word 
is trustworthy and true. I know many of you, I've talked about my own, um, my own salvation, my own conversion. And you know that I was convinced, studying engineering at LSU, I was convinced of the validity of this word, the truthfulness of this, before I was ever saved. It stands up to scrutiny. And like Nebuchadnezzar, we can say, I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And brothers, how I have been humbled. So worship God. Worship Christ. This is the main focus of this passage as well as all of Revelation. In fact, it is the main focus of all of Scripture. And one could make an argument, and I think Paul does, that it is the focus of all creation to tell us, to call us, to worship God. It's why He created anything. It's to manifest His glory. And it's why we worship, because we see that. He's revealed it to us. And we see that He is worthy of all that we give. That's His worth-ship. So He is worthy of our worship. And verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Again, let's compare this to something that Daniel said. In Daniel 12, verse 10, he says, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Daniel's prophecies were to be sealed up in his day, but in John's day they were to be opened, and they were opened. They were opened by the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, as we just mentioned. The promised Messiah came, fulfilled all that God had required of him. In fact, he, requ- he fulfilled all that God has required of any of us, of all of us. And by his faithfulness and his righteousness, the Lamb proved himself worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll. That was our redemption. And also, by his faithfulness and his grace, by His pity and His mercy that He has upon us, He reveals Himself to us. He reveals His work to us. And He calls us to join Him in seeking the lost. He calls us to join Him. And John sees all of this. And he, sees the, he knows the prophecies of Daniel. And by divine uh, revelation, now he's seeing the complete fulfillment of this. And he sees the apostate church. And he sees the, new ch- or the true church in his own day. And he recognizes all of this as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. God has always said that he will save some and judge others. Romans 9.13, Paul says, As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Which Paul quoted from Malachi. And we can read of the account of Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis. And we can read of the account of Moses and Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. 
God revealed himself in his mercy to Moses and to the Hebrews. But he hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he revealed himself in judgment to the Egyptians. But don't read too much into that, brothers and sisters, what I just said. There were Hebrews who walked out of Egypt who were unconverted. They were unbelievers. And there were Egyptians who followed them out, convinced that their God was the one true and living God. This was the prophecy in Daniel's writing, but it was the fulfillment in John's writing. Daniel was writing about things that were going to happen, but there were, but, but here, I'm sorry, here we see John warning the churches of what is going to happen. When, I, when we speak of uh, Daniel, we're talking about those who purify themselves and make themselves white and those who act wickedly. Those who understand and those who don't understand. Christ said to the seven churches, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And He said this at the end of every letter. Telling us. It's not just what I wrote to the Ephesians or, not, or the church in Ephesus is not just for the church in Ephesus. But it's a lesson that we all can glean principles from. And how we are to live and how we are to worship God. And we know that God's purpose is to manifest His own glory in the redemption of this fallen creation. And in the process, He will save some and judge others. That is His choice. He is sovereign over that decision, and the only thing that He tells us about it is, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But all through Scripture, we see exhortations like this one, warning us to change our behavior. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Don't let this difficulty twist you up into indecision. It always amazes me how, or it, it, not so much anymore because I don't talk to them as much anymore, but in, um, in college, engineering friends, guys who understood the dual nature of light struggled with this. No, I can't sum up everything about the dual nature of light. It's a particle, it's a wave. Depending on what you look for, that's what you find. There's some correlation between that and this. God is sovereign, period, end of story. You are responsible for your decisions, period, end of story. Let's not get wrapped around the axle about it and fight over it. It, it is what it is. Scripture says what it says. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So just as in verse 7, Jesus announcing, announces that he is coming soon. And in verse 7, he says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, blessed is the one who is obedient. Here in verse 12, he promises a reward for each one based upon what they have done. In other words, he promises a reward to those who are obedient. This promise was also given to the church in Thyatira. In Revelation chapter 2, 
verse 23, And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Searches mind and heart, and you'll be rewarded according to your works. Which means that even if you do the right thing, if your heart is not right with God in doing it, it's not a good thing. It may be a blessing to the individual that you are helping, but it will get you no, it will garner you no reward from Christ if your heart is not right with Him. I'll leave it to you to go back uh, to see uh, this promise to Thyatira also came with a serious warning. But this promise of reward is not unique to Revelation. We see this throughout Scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 10, or chapter 17, verse 10, um, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. According to the fruit of his deeds. That's another way of saying what? According to his works. According to his works. In Romans chapter 2, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. It's according to what we have done. And the Apostle Peter tells us in the first chapter of the first epistle that he wrote that Christ is like a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Brothers and sisters, everybody that goes to hell goes to hell because of what they've done. But Scripture is also just as clear that we go to heaven because of what Christ has done. It's what Christ has done that undo that undoes what we have done so that we can be with Him in the new Jerusalem. In verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So here we have three titles for God. The Alpha and the Omega. This is apply, This title is applied to the Lord God in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. The first and the last. This title is applied to God in Revelation 21, 6. And the beginning and the end is applied to Christ in chapter 2, verse 8. So here in Revelation twenty-two thirteen, all three titles are applied to Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. This highlights the divine nature of Jesus and the fact that He is worthy of our worship. So when the angel says, worship God, you can hear that as well in this, worship Jesus Christ. We have already seen many titles that's been applied to Christ. Prophet, priest, king, just to name a few. But Jesus is no mere prophet. He's, just, he's not just another prophet in the long line of prophets. He is the only true and faithful witness to all that God is, all that God has said, and all that God has done or will do. In fact, Jesus not only gives us the words of God, but He is the very Word of God. The incarnation of God's Word, as John tells us 
in the first 18 chapters or the first 18 verses of his gospel account. And Jesus reveals to us the will of God for our salvation. In Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, we read this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but there, excuse me, but do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, when you think of that verse and you simply think about yourself evangelizing or or, uh, speaking to someone about Christ, um, sharing your testimony, uh, whatever it may be, you speak His Word and you speak it faithfully as best you can and you trust that it does not return to Him in vain, but it accomplishes what He intends. You're just the vehicle to get it there. As um, I think it's Vody Vacham that says this, that you are not the chef, you're the waiter. <laughs> Your job is not to fix or prepare the food. It's simply to take it from the kitchen to the table. That's it. Don't change it. Don't add anything. Don't take anything away. I think we'll get to that later in this chapter. But that's your only job is to be faithful for what God has revealed to you. Be faithful with it. And he uses that for his purpose. But also thinking about this and thinking about the fact that Christ is the incarnate word. And that he has been sent to accomplish a mission. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word never fails to save those whom he wants to save. He is sovereign. But Jesus is not, not only is he not just another prophet, he's not just another priest in a long line of priests. Remember in the Old Testament, the priest presented the sacrifices before God on behalf of the sinners, on behalf of themselves even. But Jesus didn't offer just another sacrifice. He presented to God the perfect sacrifice so that no other sacrifice ever need be given. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, He, speaking of Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So you may not feel it. You may not walk in it all the time. You may not think it. And others may look at you and say, there's no way. But when God looks at you, He sees you through Christ. He sees you through that cross and you are perfect in His sight and He loves you. Which is why He brings some stress upon you from time to time. You know, I was contemplating that as I was on the beach with my family this past week. Enjoying it so much and thinking of how blessed it would be to be doing that all the time. And it occurred to me, no, son. I was ne- you were never meant to be content here. This was never meant to be your permanent home. Enjoy some of the blessings, but do not find your joy and contentment at the beach or in your cars 
or in your house or whatever else it is that you have here and now. Your joy and contentment is promised in Christ. But Christ prevented the perfect, presented the perfect sacrifice. And this is the case because Jesus did not simply offer any sacrifice that was, or a sacrifice that was external to himself. No, he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. He lived the perfect life before God, completely sinless. In all of human history, he was the only one that deserved to go on living. But instead, he gave himself. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Consequently, when Christ came to the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Christ came and he accomplished the purpose for which his father sent him. And, it's, and that's where we reap the benefits of it. It's because of that that we have any claim to any inheritance. It's because of that that we run towards heaven, that we pursue heaven. Christ is the only mediator that is capable of making you right with God. No other priest can stand to do that before the throne of God. I can stand here only because of what Christ has done. I can pray for you only because of what Christ has done. If it was for my own merit, I couldn't even, I couldn't even make things right for myself, much less make something right for you. It's only because of what Christ has done. He's not just another prophet. He's the only true and faithful witness ever. He's not just another priest. He's the only mediator that can save any of us. And he's not just another king. Every king you see throughout all of history, there have been a few that were benevolent, but for the most part, most of them were self-serving. Isn't that what Saul was? And God warned Israel, you want a king? All right, I'll give you a king, but this is what he's going to do. He's going to be selfish. He's going to use you. He's going to take your wealth. He's going to take your, your sons and your daughters for himself. He's going to be self-serving. He will not serve me. He will not serve you. And this is what we see throughout history. Even David, who had a heart after God's own heart, still fell into sin, grievous sin. A king is meant to protect his people, to provide for his people. Christ is the only one that can protect you from what we've seen in Revelation. The great red dragon, that beast who seeks to beat you into submission, the false prophet who comes to lie and deceive you if it were possible. And the whore of Babylon that comes to tempt you with anything she can in her cup to lure you away from worshiping the one true God. Christ is the only one that can protect you from that. And he's the only one that can provide you with safe passage into the new kingdom, into the, the new Jerusalem, into the new heavens and the new earth. He's the only one 
that can, that can bless you with all of these blessings that are promised here in Revelation. He is no mere prophet, no mere priest, or no mere king. He is the king of kings. He is the one true high priest. And he's the only true and faithful prophet that has ever walked. Now previously, in verses 6 through 9, we are warned to obey the words of Christ and to worship God. And so now we come here to verses 10 through 13, and we are giving some very compelling reasons for this. In verse 12, Jesus Christ once again promises that He is coming. Then in verse 13, He proclaims divine authority by claiming divine titles. And there are three points about this that I want you to see. The first is the authenticity of it. As we mentioned last week, Christ's return may not be according to man's timeline. There are those who mock us because we've been waiting for so long. But I'm glad we've been waiting for so long because that means we're a part of the church now. That means we're a part of that kingdom. If Christ had come any time before 2005, I would have been, well, not, I would have been lost if it had been after a certain time. But possibly I would have never existed. You would have never existed. He's building his church. And he intends to take as long as he intends to take to do that. It's his church. It's his creation. Yeah, it may not be according to your timeline. But this is nothing for God. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Don't try to do any math and figure out the timeline based on that. That's foolishness. It's just saying that time doesn't mean the same to God as it means to us. But we can rest assured that it will happen because this is what God promises to us. This is what God's Word says. Just as Peter says in 2 Peter 1.21, the Old Testament prophets were moved by the Spirit, moved as the Holy Spirit carried them along. So too, John is inspired to write this for our salvation, for our edification. This is no mere Uh, imagination that John is writing for us. It's what he saw. It's what he witnessed. And all of history, all of creation, confirms the Word of God. Unlike any other religious text, the Bible stands up to honest scrutiny. If it's your intention to come to this, to come to this book, to find contradictions, to find things that you don't understand, that you can't explain, so that you can free yourself from the bonds of, of the words of God, then I recommend you read Psalm 2 for the last thing that you read before you toss it aside. He gives you enough rope to hang yourself with. This is trustworthy and true. And you can trust your life to it. But you can also trust your eternity to it. It's authentic what John is saying here. And there's this imminence about it. The point two, this imminence about, uh, about Christ and His return. Daniel was told to seal up the words of his book because the time had not yet come. Some of the things that Daniel had seen were still in his future. 
but he could trust those future prophecies because he had witnessed God's fulfillment of other things in his lifetime. Many of Daniel's prophecies are now in our past, and we can confirm them, we can validate them by studying God's Word, by comparing it to history books that we see. We can trust God's Word. Just as a wise man, you can, you can take the book of Proverbs, and even if you don't believe Christ, even if you don't believe the miracle accounts, even if you don't believe in an afterlife, if you live by the wisdom that's in Proverbs, you live a good life. That's another mark of validation. John is told not to seal up the words of his book because the time had come. The things that John is seeing are upon us now. The beast, the false prophet, the whore of Babylon, the true church, the apostate church, the persecution that we deal with, the deception all around us, and the temptations. This is the reality that we live in. And as we've noted before, we don't always experience every aspect of it. We don't know of anyone outside of some personal vendetta or some madman. We don't know of anyone, I don't, of anyone who suffers physical persecution because of their faith. I know there are people in the world that do. We were just talking about the pastor in, uh, in Canada who's been given a four-year sentence because he won't bow the knee to the government. That's as close as we come in our culture to physical persecution. But make no mistake about it, brothers and sisters, the church in America suffers. It suffers severe temptations. And it struggles against serious deceptions. So you have the authenticity of this message, you have the imminence of this message, and you have the finality of this message. And this is the real warning. When Christ returns, it's over. This is the focus of verse 11. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Ecclesiastes 11.3 says that wherever a tree falls, that's where it stays. This is true of mankind as well. The righteous are declared holy and will forever be holy. They're declared holy because of Christ. Nobody can undo what Christ did. So they will forever be holy. Those who meet the Lord in submission will continue in submission. Those who surrender to the King of Kings will forever serve Him as their King. They will forever be citizens of the new Jerusalem. For the righteous, for us, if you truly believe, eternity will be ever-increasing peace, joy, and communion with God. For the righteous, they will abide forever under the grace of God and praise Him forever for His mercy. But for the evildoer, The evildoers are declared filthy and will forever be filthy. Those who meet the Lord in rebellion will continue in their rebellion. 
Those who stand against the King of Kings will forever strive against Him to no avail. They will forever be cast out of the new Jerusalem. For the unrighteous, eternity will be ever-increasing misery, sorrow, and estrangement from God. They will abide forever under His wrath and judgment. And they will forever curse the Lamb and sin in their hearts against God. We've talked about this many times. Heaven and hell is not so much a place as it is a condition. You go into eternity either reconciled with your Creator, and He puts you in a new heaven and a new earth so that you can live and be what Adam was supposed to be, an image of God, a spiritual being in a physical world, an image of God. Or you go into eternity and you are forever cast out, forever under the wrath of God, forever longing for those things because you are flesh and bone. Yes, you're a spirit, but you're a person who's meant to breathe and to focus your eye on something, to socialize with people, to have your feet on firm ground. None of those things are available to the unrighteous in eternity. Scripture tells us it's like a bottomless pit. It's outer darkness. Yes, it's a lake of fire. All of these things are, des- are meant to describe an eternity of misery and sorrow that we cannot fathom. And for those who hear this message, for those who hear this message, the message of Christ, and ignore it, they will also hate and curse themselves for eternity because they will remember the call to repentance and faith that they neglected. And they will remember that they themselves rejected the very means of salvation that God offered. When you see Christ, either at His return or at your death, your eternity is set. It's final. And finally, in verse 10, the angel tells John not to seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Or the time is at hand. Remember the quote from Daniel two. Uh, excuse me, from Daniel twelve ten. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. Who will understand? Those who are wise shall understand. Who are the wise ones? Scripture tells us who the wise are. Scripture tells us that those who are wise fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Paul tells us in Romans 3.18 that the wicked do not fear the Lord. They do not fear God. And this is the root of their own undoing. Their ignorance. Their self-imposed ignorance. The point of this is that the message of Revelation, in fact, the message of all Scripture, must not be silenced. It must not be ignored. When the angel tells John not to seal up the words of this prophecy, he's telling you the same thing. It is an urgent warning to all of us 
that the words of God must not be silenced or ignored. The day of grace will soon end, and the day of judgment will be upon you. And for some of you, it will be upon you sooner than you expect. Remember the story of the great wedding banquet that we read. There were many who were invited. But remember the parable of the ten virgins that we read just a little while ago. In that parable, Jesus warns us. He warns us that those who ignore His words will discover too late that the door into the wedding feast has been closed forever to them. When the day of judgment comes, there will no longer be any opportunity for change. It will be too late to think about your repentance. And this is the warning that Christ is leaving us with. Do not seal up the words of this book. Do not cut yourself off from the bread of life. That's what this is. Christ is the Word. This is the Word. Christ is the bread of life. This is the, your bread of life. Do not cut yourself off from it. Do not cut yourself off from the living waters that flow from this. This is how you truly know Christ. Know your Creator. This is how you are reconciled. By knowing Him. Remember we said last week, salvation is to know the Lord. Those who are not saved do not know Him. They may know of Him, but they, may not, but they do not know Him. This is, this is what you need. This is the bread of life, living water. If you have no desire for it, then ask for that desire. If you have no understanding of it, then ask for that understanding. God gives those things freely. I know of so many people this morning, this very morning, who are sitting at their homes. They have no desire to set foot in a church, in any church. But they will tell you that they are looking forward to seeing heaven. Brothers and sisters, heaven is what we are pursuing right now. It's what we are pursuing when we come together to gather to worship. If someone has no desire to pursue heaven now, then there is no hope that they will actually see it on Judgment Day. The time is now. Do not seal up the words of this book, but open it. And open it with expectations to change. Whatever it, may, whatever it may say to you, the words of God will crush you, but they will heal you. And you come, back, you come out better on the other end. Open it with the expectation to be changed. Open it with the expectation to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Pray, as we often do here, pray that God will give you ears to hear His Word. Pray that God will give you a mind to understand His Word. And most of all, pray that God will give you a heart to accept His Word. You have heard the message of Jesus Christ. The message is repent and believe. And I urge you, do not delay. Do not let your opportunity of salvation pass you by. Let us pray.